You know, when uh, I get up, it seems like that every time Noel leads the singing, uh, she's read my mail. She knows what I'm going to preach and, or talk. I've been teaching so long now with Master's Commission that I about don't know how to preach anymore. So if I look more like a teacher as I go through this today, uh, just understand that's where I'm coming from. Um, what I wanted to share with you today comes out of the book of Nehemiah. And people ask me, well, what do you want to speak out of the Old Testament for? I got news for you. Some of them Old Testament saints knew more about living and walking with God than we act like that we do. And if they can give us some good words and some good teaching about how to do what we know that we're supposed to do, then I don't mind using them. Um, today I want to talk about a little bit, it's again something we've heard a lot about lately, speak the word, but this time I want to apply it maybe just a little bit different. When we pray, what do we do? We should speak the word. Pray the word. Pray, uh, you know, according to what God and the promises that God has given us. It's really good if we can take and look at those promises and get them and pray them uh, to God. Uh, so Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 to 5, says the, the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, uh, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant with love and those who love him and keep his commandments. Let me start with this. Uh, why would Nehemiah get this broken up? Now understand, Nehemiah probably had never lived in Jerusalem. He'd never seen Jerusalem because this is some 14 years after Ezra went back with the first group of exiles. And then this is, uh, when this comes along, and it was 70 years was the period of the captivity. So this is about 85 years, 84, 85 years since uh, Israel was taken into captivity and so a man that is working as a cupbearer for the king would not have been alive. And he even says something a little later in, in the, if you keep reading the chapter, he says the, the place, the, the city of his uh, ancestors where they were all buried. He didn't say anything about it being his home or anything. Why would he get this broken up, all this weeping and crying and uh, all of that about some problems that's going on in the city and the town that he's never heard or never seen. And until you've been there, you don't understand. 
One of the, you know, we saw a lot of things when we went, when, when we went to Israel. I went a few years ago, Pastor uh, took a tour to Israel. And out of everything we saw, Pastor, you know what was one of the things that really sticks with me the most and really got me to thinking more than anything else? Do you remember when we went to the Western Wall? And while we were there, going through all of the process of the Western Wall, and that was, that was pretty amazing in and of itself, but while we were there, an ambulance came in and backed up. You remember that? And I'm sitting there looking, thinking, like an American, and I'm thinking, well, what's happened? Did somebody had a heart attack? You know, did somebody fall and injure themselves? You know, this ambulance comes rolling up. The ambulance drivers get out. They go in, they open the back doors, they pull the stretcher out, and guess what? There was a lady laying in the stretcher. They're getting her out. And I asked somebody, I said, what's going on? I mean, this is not a hospital. Why is an ambulance bringing somebody here to, a, to the Western Wall to, in the city of Jerusalem? Why is this lady coming? And I don't remember who it was that I asked her who gave me the answer, and they said, well, you know, that lady's dying. What's she doing out here then? You know, still thinking like an American, she's dying. And they said, oh, you don't understand. Some of the Jewish people, there is such an innate desire. They just almost have to do it. They want to get back to Jerusalem and they want to touch at least the spot on the Western Wall where the uh, Ark of the Covenant uh, used to sit in the holiest of holies. They want to be as close to the place where the presence of God was, and they just, they'll, they'll do anything to get back there. And this kind of drive, I think, is what Nehemiah had. He had that heart. He may not have ever seen Jerusalem. He may not have lived there. He may not get to go back and live there for any real length of time, uh, because that was one of the first things that King asked him afterwards was, what's going on? You know, how long are you going to be gone? What's... Uh, so he probably had to go back. He set a time and he probably had to go back. But the, the words that were spoken to him, number one, he said, the people are in trouble. You know, what does that mean? The people are in trouble. Well, if you keep reading through the book, you find out what the trouble was. I'm sure Ezra was a good man, and I'm sure Ezra did what he could with the plan that God had given him when he went there. But if when you read on through, down a little later in the book, the people that went back with Ezra have now settled in the city. This is about 14 years. They're settled in the city. Their children are growing up. They have started giving their children in marriage to the Gentile wives around them. They have started uh, doing things that the Old Testament uh, in Leviticus uh, said were detestable in the eyes of God. They were, uh, they were letting people, some of the people were poor and they couldn't afford to, uh, I don't know, you know, all the things that they needed to have what they needed. So they would go out and borrow uh, money and then the people would use, would charge them interest on the money and all of that kind of thing. And God said that was not supposed to happen when you were in the land, in the promised land. You're not supposed to do that. So they were, 
They were breaking God's laws and covenant all over the place. And then Jerusalem's walls were in ruins. There was also three guys named Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem that were laying a heavy burden on the Jewish people. They were probably, from what I can understand in all my reading, they were some of the Jewish people that had been left there when the deportation first took place, or at least they were from those families. And they are the people that had, they're half Jewish and half Gentile. Uh, so these three probably came out of that group. And they're giving them a hard time. And uh, they, they are trying to prevent the work going on. They're trying to, uh, to just get in there and, and really give them a hard time. And when they, they describe, though, a little bit later, when they start to throw taunts at the Jewish people, they described what the walls of Jerusalem looked like. And as the Jews started, the, the people that went back and the people that Nehemiah got out to build the walls, uh, they, they, the, these three men would stand out there and they would say things like, the, look at these walls, you're trying to rebuild them, they're nothing but just a pile of rubble. Uh, it, the way that you're rebuilding the wall uh, with all of that rubble, if a fox was to run up against the wall, he'd knock it down. Uh, you know, so these walls were really, I guess rubble is the best way to describe it. It just wasn't anything. It was gone. And it broke Nehemiah's heart. So Nehemiah only knew one thing to do, and that was pray and seek God. And that's what I want to talk about today somewhat is this prayer that Nehemiah prayed, how it worked, what he said, what he did, and how he acted throughout all of this. Nehemiah started out by praising God. You know, and if you go to Matthew 6, you'll find that to be true too. When Jesus started giving that Lord's Prayer, what was the first thing he said? Our God, God Almighty, wonderful. And that's what uh, Nehemiah is saying here. This is a God that we can praise and we can worship and we can have. Why? I think when, when I think about that, I think that that praise and that worship brings us into a closeness with God. You know, God wants our praise. God wants our worship. I know that. But I think it just helps usher us into that, I don't want to say the presence of God because we have that all the time. He lives inside of me. I've got the presence of God. I understand what we mean when we say we want the presence and we're hungry for the presence. But you know what? The presence of God is with us all the time. So Nehemiah starts out praising God. It, it just kind of pulls all of it together. Uh, and this is Nehemiah 1, 5 to 7. I'm not going to take time to, to read it right now. But uh, he says, great and awesome God. Then Nehemiah confessed. That's the next thing he did. He got down. And I want to discuss this a little bit more with you later. Because it tells us, you know, 
part of what we have to do when we start praying is know when we are if we're going to pray an effective prayer. Not only who we are, but what we are in some cases. So Nehemiah, he starts to, to confess the sins of Israel and himself. And he, he tells him, you know, in other words, he's rehearsing God's words is what he did. In Leviticus chapters 26 to uh, 33, this stuff is all covered in there, and I'm not going to take time to read seven chapters of the, uh, the Old Testament, especially Nehemiah, I mean of uh, Leviticus. Um, and when he was talking to Moses, when Moses was getting, and Joshua, when they were getting ready to go into the, to the promised land, they were told, if you go in there, and if you obey God and do everything that I'm telling you to do, then you'll be blessed in the land. If you don't, then you're going to be, the land will spew you out. I think one place it even said the land would vomit them out of, the, out of its presence. And he says, God, that's what you told us. And you've done that. Because this is at the end now of that 70-year exile. You've done that, God. You, you did exactly what you said that you would do. And then, now, Nehemiah reminds God of some other words that he had promised. He said, Lord, when we go back into the land, if we are faithful, then bring us back, you would bring us back from everywhere throughout the whole earth. See, the people at this point had been spread out the Babylonians, when they got ready to, to capture Israel, they left a few Jewish people in Israel. Then they took others and spread them out to all the different countries everywhere within their empire. They would spread them all throughout all of these places. And their idea was, if we get them all spread out like that, then they can't uh, lead an insurrection. They can't lead a rebellion. They can't get enough people to form an army to, to come out and fight against us, so they just spread them out everywhere. And so, but he said, you promised that if that happened, that you would call them back anyway. You would bring them back from all the four corners of the earth that they had to, to get them all back to where they were supposed to be. He reminded God of what God had said. You told us this would happen, God. And I'll throw in something here that I read, and I don't remember where I read it, but I, it's in, I've probably in one of the minor prophets. Uh, Kim, you might know better than I do where it's at. And what it said was that after the Babylonian captivity was over, the Israelites, the Jewish people, never again worshipped an idol. It never happened again. Uh, they got that part of their life right. So, Eli uh, so he's saying, God, uh, you redeemed these people from Israel. These people that you now revere your name and they delight in it. In other words, he's saying, God, you said that if we would be good and if we would do everything that you gave us to do, then you would come and get us from the four corners of the earth and take us back. Now, Lord, keep your word. You know, we need to pray that way sometimes. 
This is what you promised, Lord. And that's why we tell you to, to quote such verses like if you need a healing, what are you going to quote? James 5, 14, 15, and 16. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 24, 25. Uh, you know, all kinds of verses that we have about healing. When you pray, don't hesitate to tell God, this is what you promised. This is what you said. And now I'm expecting because I, you know, I am, uh, I may not be the greatest person in the world, but I am revering God's name and you are my God. And before I go any further, I want to make kind of a disclaimer here because when I'm preaching and teaching about what I'm getting to some of the stuff that I'm going to be teaching today or saying today uh, and talking about who we are, it's easy for people to get and hear what I say and get a misunderstanding of that, that I'm giving them a free, uh, how can I say it, a free right to go out and sin. You understand what I'm saying? And I'm not doing that. Uh, everything that I'm getting ready to say is based on the premise that you are a Christian and you are following God, you're continuing to follow God, you're sitting there in the, uh, you know, you're, you're in, you have accepted Jesus by faith, you're walking by faith in his love, and you're staying close to Jesus, okay? That's the premise that I'm going on, that uh, what I'm getting ready to say from several more things coming up here is all premised on that. You know Jesus, you love Jesus, you've accepted him as your own personal savior, and you're continuing to walk in that. But I want to, here I want to just say right quick, and God spoke this to me. He said, when Israel did all of those things that were wrong, when Israel was worshiping the idols, when Israel uh, did all of these things that got them put back into the, uh, the Babylonian captivity, did I reject Israel for what they did? Folks, I can tell you something. Right now, I know we're in a time called the period of the Gentiles. But if you think Israel has been rejected by God, you've got another thing coming. Israel is still God's people. Israel is still God's chosen people. Israel is still right there for the hand of God and God loves them and God is ministering to them and he's going to take them on. Right now they get saved the same way we do. But he is, they are still his chosen people. He has not rejected them. He has not thrown them out. That's why he said, I'll go gather them back if they're scattered to the four corners of the earth. I'll go get them and I'll bring them back and I'll put them back where they belong. So that was the way he, he prayed. Father, this was your promise. Now I expect to see you fulfill your promise. What was Nehemiah's request then? What did he ask for God? And this is in uh, Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 11. And when he went 
to praying now. And when he got down to the part where he's asking God what he actually wanted, we don't see him begging God. We don't see him, you know, doing a lot of things that we think sometimes is necessary. He prayed a very short prayer. By what I could see in the scripture, it says, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting me favor in the presence of this man, meaning the king. I was cupbearer to the king. You know, we've commented on this several times uh, a lot of times when somebody comes up for prayer, uh, I think they get mad at me. And the reason that I think they get mad at me is because I don't go into a 15, 20-minute dissertation on what they need. All we need to do with God is just tell Him what we need. And once we tell Him what we need, we don't have to sit there and bawl and beg and all that kind of stuff. Just... Tell him what you need. We praised him. We worshiped him. Uh, you know, we spoke his word. We told him what his word said. We told him what his word was going to do. And then tell him what we need. And that's what Nehemiah said. And all he was saying, all Nehemiah was saying right now was, Lord, give me favor with the king. You know what would happen if he went into the king and tried to ask something from the king without favor from the king, right? Remember the story of Esther? And she, when, when Mordecai came up and said, look, you've got to save our people. You've got to go to the king. You've got to talk to him. And Esther told him, what you're asking me to do is put my life on the line. Because if I go in there and try to ask something from the king and if he doesn't hold his scepter out to me, I'm a goner. In other words, they would kill anybody that would do that. So that's what Nehemiah was asking God for. Give me favor with this king. He, and it says even when he did get in there, that with great fear, even when the king showed him some favor, with great fear, he went up and started making the request from the king. But he's asking God, give me favor with this king. And... A few years ago, we went to a, a bunch of us men went to a Kenneth Copeland uh, seminar, and he told us about the kingdom process. Right, Dave? Wasn't that what he called it? And the first thing we do is pray in the kingdom process, give God what we need, and then the last thing that we have to have is a download from heaven. You know what a download is, right? If we go to a website... And we get information that we want to keep, then we download that to our computer. And this kingdom process is after we've prayed, we've got to get a download. Now, my Master's Commission kids have heard this story. Kim, tell Connie I tried to use some new stories today. <laughs> she gets on me and Kim all the time. She says, y'all say the same old stories all the time. And I think I've got two today that most of you haven't heard. Uh, the Master's Commission's heard one of them anyway. Uh, you know, when I went into my first home missions church back in 1974 in Mount Airy, uh, North Carolina, uh, there are some things with being a home missions pastor when you're getting ready to start a church that most people don't think about. 
In this particular case, we had no people, we had no money, and we wanted to start a church. How many of you know that when you get ready to go to a building, uh, they're not free? Usually. <laughs> and so anyway, we had a name of a person that had a building that was available, and he was willing to let us hold our first meeting in that, uh, in that particular building. It was just a, I'd written a newspaper article and put it out there and things like that. And so any potential people that wanted to come and help us start the church, uh, we were going to open the building up that night uh, so that we could meet. So he, he agreed to give me one night free. And so we went in, we had our meeting, and when the meeting was over, he and I got aside and started talking, but I'd already prayed before I ever got there. And he said, uh, where are you going to meet? I said, I hope right here. That's where you're planning to start your church. Yeah. Where are you going to get your money? Well, God had already given me a download. I said, uh, you're going to give it to us free for six months. He kind of looked at me like I was crazy. Uh, and then I said, here's the rest of the plan that God gave me. They had had in the part that we were going to use for a sanctuary, they had a, this building had a tar and gravel roof on it. And this tar and gravel roof had leaked. And I mean, you walk into the sanctuary, there's a great big hole there. Black insulation, black sheetrock where the water had come through and destroyed all of that stuff. And it was just a big gaping hole there in the, in the sanctuary. And then God told me, said, here's what you tell him now. Tell him that you'll make all the repairs on the building. And then in six months, you'll either buy the building or you'll turn it back over to him in the repaired condition and it won't cost him anything. Man jumped all over it. You know how I know that was a download from God? I would have never come up with that idea on my own to sit there and tell the man that he was going to give it to me free. But you know what was amazing about it? He became one of my best deacons and one of the best deacons I've ever had from that time to this. Wonderful man of God. But he jumped all over it. But the download part, now that was the prayer and the answer to the prayer. Now the download part comes, well that was the download part, but then a couple of days later, I'm standing in the middle of that hole. And I said, Lord, what have you got me into now? I don't know anything about tar and gravel roof. How am I supposed to fix it? They've already had 10 people that know something about tar and gravel roof, and they've been over here and worked on it, and they couldn't fix it. But how am I going to fix it when I don't know anything about them? He said, look up. I said, I thought that's what I was doing. He said, no, dummy, look up. And I looked up, and I saw sun shining through the roof. So I took a screwdriver, stuck it through the hole, went up on the top, knocked the screwdriver out, put some gravel and tar in the hole, and tarred over it, and put some more gravel over it, and never had another problem. See, God knows how to do that stuff. 
All we've got to do is hear God. And my point being here at this time, sometimes when you get that download from heaven, it won't make a whole lot of sense. It didn't make any sense to offer the man six months rent free. Didn't make any sense for me to get up there and repair a roof that I don't know how to repair. But when God gives us the download, no matter how crazy it might seem, go for it. After the prayer, Nehemiah got his download that he needed to hear from God. And you know what the download said? The download said, when you go before the king, here's what you ask for. Ask him to allow you to go to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. Now understand, if those walls are rebuilt, that becomes a fortress, like the old castles that you see on TV. So asking the king of a that has been for it from a people that had been rebellious all through their history against people having uh, authority over them, uh, th this is a big request, right? And most of us would have quit right there. And we would have shouted hallelujah all the way back to Jerusalem if that's what God had given him. Uh, and, oh, the amazing part of this, I think, is that uh, when, he went before the Lord, when he went before the king, the king, uh, he didn't go in there and start asking these requests right away. That could have meant his death. But he walked before the king, and you know what happened? King looked at him and said, hey, Nehemiah, why are you so upset? Why are you sad? Tell me, what's going on in your life? It looks like you got a broken heart. It looks like you're down in your spirit. What's going on? I've never seen you like this before. Only God can make a king take a servant and see that much in his face and then want to help with it. So when Nehemiah went in there, and got this, not only did the king tell him, he said, okay, what do you want, what do you need to take care of the problem? And then Nehemiah says, king, if I've really found favor in your eyes, if I've really found it, then I want you to have, give me some letters so that when I go through all of these people on the other side of the Euphrates River, going back to Jerusalem, have them give me the money to build the walls, pay for the gates. And the king said, not only that, they can pay for your house to be fixed too. I mean, that's favor. And that's what, uh, you know, Nehemiah asked for what God had given him to ask for. Sometimes God might tell us when we try to get that download, stand still and see the hand of the Lord. I don't know if that's what happened with Nehemiah or not, because when he went in there, he didn't ask anything from the king. So God may have just told him, stand still and wait until I give you. Or he may have told him, if, he, if, if you go in there and he asks you something, then go for it, because that means he's in your hand. Now, what were the results? God gave him all the stuff that we were just talking about. This is a great example of how we ought to pray. 
God wants our presence more than we want his. You understand that? You know that? I mean, you look at down through history. God has always wanted our presence. When we come to prayer asking God or speaking God's word about our needs, we can touch the hand of God. And, you know, if you've got specific needs, somewhere in the word of God, somewhere in this book, that need is spoken about. That need is talked about. And God has made a promise. You may not understand it that way, but when God shows you the right one, then you'll understand and you'll interpret it correctly. But uh, when, when he went here, uh, he, he spoke God's word. And one of, the, one of the words that I can think of right quick, John 15, 7. Can you put that one up? If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. What does that leave out? Whatever. whatever what, what does whatever mean? Whatever. No matter what it is that you ask for. Okay. Now, Nehemiah's enemies, those three that we talked about before, they started to say all different kinds of things. They ridiculed the Israelites. They spoke angrily. They had demeaning words. They lied to the king. Uh, they accused uh, Nehemiah of saying, okay, Nehemiah, because you won't come and meet with us and talk to us about this, they were planning to kill Nehemiah. But, uh, uh, and he was wise to that because he had another download from heaven. Uh, but so he was, while he was sitting there talking to them about all of this, uh, or while they were sending him all of these messengers, they finally sent one back. They said, we'll get him this time. They sent him a word back and says, here's what we're going to tell the king. We've already heard that you're trying to set this people up in rebellion, and if you finish the wall, that's where it's going to be. And what we have heard is that you have hired false prophets, and you are paying them to say that God has told them to make you the next king over Israel. And that's the word that we're sending back to our, uh, Artaxerxes. Lie, of course it was. It was meant to intimidate. But you know, when we've done it right, and people start to speak things like that against us, uh, let's go to, ne uh, to Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 14, and see how he responded to these lies and all of that kind of stuff. Have you got that one up there? Okay. After I looked things over, he looked over the wall and everything he was working on, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember, the Lord who is great and awesome. And After you remember the Lord that is great and awesome, and stand up and fight for your families. Fight for your daughters and your wives and your homes. You've got to fight for them. We have to stand up sometimes and take what God has given us. But that's all right. If we have to take it, God will get it, uh, give it to us. So the results of the, of the speaking of the word, 
The walls were completed in 52 days. They were finished. All the rocks were up. All the gates were fixed. Doors were in the gates. And then, immediately after that, Nehemiah set out to start correcting the problems of the people. He fixed the wall, then he starts correcting the people. And he gets Ezra aside and he said, look, this ain't right. We've got to stop. And he corrected all of those problems. And then they sat down and started to have a time of Ezra taking out the word of God and reading the law to them. And then they started breaking down in tears. They started putting away their Gentile wives. They stopped giving their children to marry these other uh, nationalities and all that. And a rejoicing broke out. They said it was the greatest time of rejoicing that it had, uh, the second greatest time of rejoicing that it had ever been in Israel. The first one being back when they went into the promised land. And nothing compared to what they had this day then. Now, I want to speak to you just a minute. I've got a few more minutes, don't I, Pastor? I want to uh, speak just a few minutes about you applying this to yourself. Ever been in that place where you couldn't do anything and you were up against the wall, your back was against the wall, and there's no way out? Ever been there? I'm going to share one more story out of my life with you. Uh, most of you don't know this about me, but I used to preach on TV uh, two, three times a week. The amazing part was it was all free. It didn't cost me a dime. Uh, this was on a channel, Channel 16. It was over in Burlington, North Carolina. And uh, for some reason or another, the guy over there that ran the, the station loved me. And uh, he thought I was the greatest thing that ever walked through his front door, I think. Uh, be that here or there, it doesn't matter. But uh, a lot of times he would give me free time to preach on the air. And sometimes they had a, a typical two, two and a half hour program, you know, where they would have different ministries come in and they would share their burden for their ministry and all of that kind of thing. And uh, then the, the one person would be there to facilitate it, to ask questions, to, you know, to bring in, I guess, wisdom and things like that. And several times I was asked to do that. I was asked to be the facilitator, the, the main man on the set while all this was going on. And this one night, they asked me if I would do it on this particular night. And I said, be glad to. Two and a half hours free. Yeah, I think I can handle that. And while we were there, or the, the, the night before I was supposed to go and do this, I had a tooth break off in my mouth. The pain was pretty extensive. The guy that runs the TV station, he's out of town now. He's gone. That's why he asked me to be the moderator that night. He's gone. I go to the dentist the next morning. He said, well, we'll have to work in on an emergency basis. We'll get to you this afternoon. I said, if you wait until this afternoon, can you get the bleeding stopped before 7 o'clock? He said, you'll have to deal with that. He said, all I got to do is it's infected and all that kind of stuff, and we got to get it out of your mouth. So I went on in. 
They pulled the tooth, packed my mouth full of gauze, you know how they do, chomped down on it, and all afternoon, or the rest of that afternoon, it kept bleeding. Got to the TV station, about 20 minutes to seven, I mustered all the faith I could muster. And I said, Lord, I'm going to walk in there, and this bleeding needs to be stopped. I walked in there, and I pulled out the gauze, and I was bleeding like a stuck hog. <laughs> I had until five minutes to seven. I had to be on the set at five minutes to seven. So grabbed some fresh gauze out, put it back in my mouth, clamped it down again, went back in, and I was praying the whole time. Lord, it's got to stop. <laughs> I, nobody here. There's nobody in this here that can do what I've got to do now. You know, I'm doing what you asked me to do, and I've got 10 minutes, and this thing's got to stop. I walked in there at seven minutes. To, uh, I had to be on set at five till so that they could get the whole set and everything set up. So I went in there at seven minutes to, till seven. And I said, Lord, you've got to do it now. Then I made one of them proclamations that Greg's always talking about. I said, when I take this gauze out of my mouth, it's not going to bleed. And it's not going to bleed anymore after that. You think I got by without hearing from the devil on that issue? The devil immediately said, you just took the gauze out 10 minutes ago and it was still flowing freely. You think it can clot in 10 minutes and stop all the bleeding? And in my mind, I knew that that physically can't happen. It would take a miracle from God. I pulled that gauze out of my mouth, no bleeding, went back in, did my two and a half hours on the TV, and never another drop of blood. That's God. That's God. Now, got just a few more minutes. I want to just say one thing about knowing who we are. What does the Bible tell us? Who am I? See, because when you want to start praying like that, the first thing that God, that the devil is going to tell you is that you're not holy. You're not any good. Why should God answer a prayer for you when you are nothing? You remember when you did, and then he named some sin that you committed. And I got some news for you. God didn't reject Israel, and he's not going to reject you either. What that sin will do now, and I, I told you before, I, I didn't want you to think that I'm giving you a free ride. If you do go out and commit sin, then I can tell you, you're going to be responsible for the consequences, whatever those consequences might be. Uh, there's a lot of things in the Scripture. David, uh, with his thing with Bathsheba, uh, there were consequences. He was not rejected. Even Adam and Eve when they ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, did God kill them? Did God throw them out and say, you're no good? 
know what I see God doing? Making them some skins. Making them some clothes out of skins. You know why? Before this, they could walk with God, even though they were naked, they could walk with God and not be ashamed, right? But now they're hiding in the bushes because they're ashamed. God makes them skins. Why? Because he wanted to still have fellowship with them. He still wanted it. So he makes them skins so that they can again come and have fellowship with him without any, um, you know, without being worried about it and all of that. Now, I want to say just a couple of things about this, and I know the Lord gave me this for today. What am I? Who am I? When the devil comes up and starts saying that I'm no good, that I've, got, I've done this, this, and this, what does the Word say that I am? I am the righteousness of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21, in Jesus we become the righteousness of God. Right? Who am I to debate with God? Does God know that I committed sin? Yes, he does. But I'm still. And how, how does that happen? I made a mistake when I was preaching up here some time ago. I don't, y'all probably won't even remember it, but... I got up here, and the Lord told me to straighten it out this time. That's one, time, one reason I'm taking these next few minutes. Uh, the Lord told me to straighten it out. I was talking about the scripture that said, Be ye holy, for I am holy. First Peter, uh, what is it, 1.16? Yeah, 1.16. Uh, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And I stood up here and said, made the following statement, I said, why would God tell us to do that if we couldn't do it? Well, I've got news for you. I misinterpreted the scripture, and that was wrong. You can't do it. I don't know of anybody here yet that has ever accomplished it, except for Jesus. Now, what did God tell me? He said, go to Romans chapter 4 and verse 5. Can you put that up? Because this is important. Find it? Not yet? Okay. I'm going to tell you basically what it says. Oh, there it is. However, to the one who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith in Jesus is credited for righteousness. In other words, everything that Jesus was is put on me. The King James says he imputed it me he put it on me and so now like it or not I am the righteousness of Christ I am the righteousness of God so when the devil comes up and says you're not worthy oh wait a minute devil that ain't what the word says the word says I am the righteousness of God after you finish praying one more thing you have to do. There comes that time, just like when I was going up to preach that night. Seven minutes to five is coming. There's going to be a time that you're going to have to step up and say, okay, God, I prayed. I think I've got my download. Now, there's 
You've got to get up and you've got to step out by faith. You've got to go stand in the middle of that dark hole and say, now God, what do I do? I made a commitment to this man and I don't have a clue what I'm doing. You have to step out by faith and say, okay, God, I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to do whatever you said. And then you go out and he'll give you the plan to do it. As long as you're sitting back praying, he's not going to do it. He needs, he needs you to step out by faith. Take what has been given to you. And he'll give you everything else you need as you go. Remember the 10 lepers? They were healed as they went. He'll tell you, but then you've got to step back out by faith and do it. Anybody that's been in ministry more than a few months has had times like me with that hole or with that trying to get that rent free for six months. They, they, they've had those experiences and they've had to go and do exactly what God told them. God's no respecter of persons. What he's done for me, what he did for Nehemiah, what he's done for Pastor Kim, he'll do for you too. Father, right now, Lord, we thank you, we praise you, and we glorify your precious name, Lord, for being here with us this morning. Lord, I hope that I made your word clear. And I pray, Lord, that it can be implemented and that I made it clear enough that they can understand what I was trying to say and where I was trying to take them, Lord. We are the righteousness of Christ. We don't hesitate, Lord, to come and sit at your throne. And Lord, we look forward to that day you can just break totally free in our church and let us have that presence like David had. Let us have that presence like they had in the temple when the ministers couldn't even stand to get up and to, to be ministering there because your presence was so heavy and so thick, Lord. Thank you, Lord, in advance for doing it because I know that's what you want as well. good word praise the word pray the word got two quick would you stand with me this morning as we close got two small items of unfinished business not so small while I was sitting there I got a text from Laura Griffin and um, Nick is going has had some physical issues you know he was able to several years ago had a doctor you know I, somebody said you know where's your faith if you're trusting in doctors well I don't believe that Dr. Jonas Salk was given a cure for polio by the devil, do you? So I believe all wisdom is from God. And so I don't have any problem with doctors and using them. And I praise God for the availability of and the wisdom that they do have. But you know what? Our trust isn't in there. And uh, my first line of defense with my physical being is with, uh, is with the Lord. 
But Nick was able to go to a doctor a number of years ago and they were able to remove that shunt from his brain. He has hydrocephalus, if you don't know, and, and the water on the brain had it for many years and had been to so much trouble and pain and everything else. Well, evidently, he's got some issues with it right now. And so uh, he has another um, um, appointment with that doctor next tomorrow morning in uh, Charlotte. And so I want to pray for him. I want you just to just bow your heads with me and we're just we're gonna we're gonna pray the word Jim we're gonna speak the word that God is Nick's healer Lord he's taken him this far and so father in the name of Jesus the name above every other name that the name of Jesus every knee bows hydrocephalus bow your knee to the name of Jesus thank you father for the healing for Nick Griffin in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this doctor. We thank you for wisdom for him. But Lord, I thank you, Lord, that Nick is healed by your stripes. We declare him whole and free from disease, free from, uh, Lord, any, uh, whatever the problem is, Lord, we thank you that he's healed by your word. We speak your word. You sent your word, Jesus, and you healed us and delivered us from all our distresses. So you deliver Nick. We bind the devil. You have no authority over him. And we thank you, Lord, that he is free from disease and sickness and pain. And Lord, relief even now in the name of Jesus, we agree on that behalf. You said if we agree, any two of us, it will be done for us in, your, in our Father's name. So we agree and we believe it to be done. We also lift up the Master's Commission. I neglected to pray for them earlier. Thank you for continued protection. Thank you for favor. Thank you for blessing. And as they continue to be a blessing, Lord, that many people be impacted positively for the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, we pray those things. Amen and amen. Wednesday night, we'll, be, we'll have our normal classes. Dave Hawkins will be teaching Pastor Dave's up in the Ed Building. I'll have mine. You know, and as I finished the funeral at the graveside the other night, the other day, my sister-in-law and brother-in-law are Jews, and she's from Israel, as you know, and uh, their prayer for the dead that they say is called the Kaddish. It's the last thing that's said before you put him into the ground. And the Kaddish is nothing more than putting an exclamation point of praise and glory to God for the life of that individual on that person before they're put into the ground. So as we close today, I want to bless you with the Kaddish. It's a prayer for mourning, but really it's not. It's just, it's, it's a praise to God for the life that God has given us, okay? So let me read it to you. It's really short and we'll take a second. Exalted and hallowed be God's great name in the world which God created. In other words, we're praising God for this world that he created according to his plan. May God's majesty be revealed in the days of our lifetime and in the life of all Israel, all the church, speedily, eminently, to which we say, amen. Blessed be God's great name for all eternity. Blessed, praised, honored, exalted, extolled, glorified, adored, and lauded shall be the name of the Holy One of Israel, and his name is Jesus. Beyond all earthly words and songs of blessing, praise, and comfort, to which we say, amen, Lord. May there be abundant peace from heaven and life for us and for all of Israel, for all of the church, to which we say, amen. And finally, may the one who grants and creates harmony on high, being priest, bring peace to us and to this world and to the church and to all of Israel by the one who made this world and his name is, to which we say, I bless you in the precious of that name. 
You're blessed and highly favored. Go and have a wonderful week. We love you. Thank you for your prayers. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Jim.